So um, as a church, we're kind of making our way through the whole Bible over a, a few years. And um, tonight we've got Philemon or a new, or Philemon or... I've been asking so many people what, what, what do they say. It's like Philemon, Philemon, Philemon. We start even like going to the kind of French styles, Philemon, but it's more of a Greek name. So I'm going to go Philemon because it's got Lehman in it and I like Lehman. And, um, sorry? <laughs> Lemon or Phil. Anyway, Philemon. And, um, who's, who's read Philemon? Yeah? How long is it? 20 foot, wow, you know the verses. Yeah, it's just, it's one chapter long. Is it 24 verses? 25. Oh, close, I don't have my Mars bars. Um, yeah, 25, 25 verses. And it's kind of one that you might, um, skip over because you think, oh, it's just one of those small ones, not really, um, important. But, as I've been studying it, I've been pretty blown away by this book. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. It's mental. It's so good. And, um, we get this kind of a different glimpse of Paul's heart. And sometimes people think that Paul is almost legalistic or um, really harsh. I don't know if you guys have ever thought that. Um, it just comes across really straightforward and full on, sometimes. Um, but in this book, we get this glimpse of this really tender-hearted, pastoral, um, soft Paul, but that is really uh, filled with the Spirit. And it's just this different side of Paul. That's really cool. And Philemon's his shortest um, letter, and but it's kind of long compared to a secular letter of the day. So it's not um, scribbled on and just kind of handed over. This is compared to a, just a normal letter of the day. It's kind of long. It's it's a very personal letter. It's got it doesn't doesn't state or correct doctrine. In a sense, it's a really personal letter to a loving friend. Um, And just keep in mind, it is a letter. Like, it might sound really obvious, but sometimes we can skip through the Bible and it's just thousands of thousands of words and all these these books kind of in the New Testament. It's just these kind of full-on things, but they're letters. They're written by hand for a purpose to somebody or, or a people group. And this, this is a letter like you would write a letter to a friend. It's, you want this person to get it, you want them to receive it. Um, and, we can, and we're going to kind of talk about the way Paul wrote letters. Because um, I think it's important. Because um, the way we write a letter, what, what's the first thing we do when we write a letter back in the day? Dear Bennett, what does Paul do in his letters? Yeah, that comes just a bit after. What's the first kind of thing he says? 
he just, yeah, Paul, the apostle of Paul, in this case, prisoner of Christ. So the first thing he says is he introduces himself. And what do we do with our letters? We, we put it at the, the end, which I, I think it kind of doesn't really make sense, but for some reason that's what we've kind of picked up. Um, yeah, so just trying to, like, I was really, like, when I was reading this, I was thinking, what am I going to talk about? Like, should I just pick a couple themes and go on that? But, like, I really encourage you to pick up your Bibles and, like, I'm going to do a kind of um, expository style where I'm going to kind of go through the verses and teach a bit. I'm going to give it a go. I might throw a few Greek words around or... But to give it justice and to give you guys justice, um, I, have to, I feel like I have to do that. And we don't often get an opportunity in church to go through a whole book because they're, they're massive and we, we wouldn't have the time. But tonight, um, we can look at a whole book together. Um, so... I might pray and we'll get into it. So Lord, um, we're just stoked to be here. We're stoked to learn from you. We're stoked to be with, with family. Um, and I just ask that you reveal yourself. You reveal your heart for, for fellowship, for grace and, um, and forgiveness as we go through, um, Philemon. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, um, so, oh, this working. Yeah. So what what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this whole book. It's not that long, but let's rip in. All right, I'll just go up here. So, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your house, uh, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in the chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now... He has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him with my very heart back to you. But I'd like to keep him with me so that he could take a place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back 
And that, when we read that, that is actually a covenant or a commitment or a contract that he actually makes in that moment with his own hand. It's it's in a a different style. Um, Not to mention, though, that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Pretty forward? It's good. Oikos. Uh, Paphras, uh, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends you his greetings and so do Mark, Ar- Aristarchus, um, Demas and Luke, the Avengers, um, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Alright, so we're going to go back to start. Um, so much in that. And the time. Sorry? Yeah, we should. Get comfortable. Alright, um, so, Paul's intros are really important. Um, he's, he's talking to Philemon, um, to Aphia, which is probably his wife, um, and, she, and Paul says our sister, and to Archippus, um, who is Philemon's son. There's a bit of talk that the, the slave could be owned by him, but the most of the stuff that I've been researching points to Philemon um, owned the slave. Now, Philemon was probably pretty kind of wealthy, um, owned a couple slaves, um, and he was a church leader of a, of a, of a house church. But um, And this was in Colossae. Colossae? 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 And um, Paul had, hadn't actually been there before. Um, so this, this guy has Paul's heart. Paul loves this guy. And um, at this point, Paul is in prison and probably under like house arrest for preaching the gospel. And somehow he comes across onesie. I was going to wear a onesie, but it'll be too distracting. Um, Onesimus, the slave, he comes in contact with Paul. And we don't actually know how, but he goes from Colossae to Rome. And in the process, he's probably stolen some money or some goods um, because he'd need money to get to Rome. And also, Paul kind of says, if, he's, if he owes you anything, I'll pay for it. So he's probably stolen some money. He's run off and he's met up with Paul. Now, we don't know if it's because he already knows him through Philemon or walked on the street, um, but they, they, they come in contact. And um, once you spend some time, some time with Paul and he becomes a Christian, he becomes, becomes a believer. And then so Paul um, writes this letter back to um, Philemon and, and, he, and, he's, and he's trying to make this appeal to take Onesimus back. But it's this different, this different spin on it. It's not, not like this Paul we see where it's like, I'm going to tell you what to do and you do it. It's this sincere heart kind of um, picture. So he's writing to him and, um, and we kind of gather that it, it, it happened because it, we wouldn't have it in the, in the canon. We wouldn't have it in the Bible if it didn't, it didn't fulfill. Um, so we kind of can think that the whole issue of, of slavery, right? We're like, why doesn't he talk about that? Why doesn't he just talk about that? And, and in this, this time, there was, 
it was this firmly established social institution, slavery. There's probably like 60, people say there's about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire and probably about 650,000 in Rome, right? So this is, this is massive, but they had absolutely no rights because they were growing and they thought if we have complete power over these slaves, then um, they won't overpower us, right? Um, but Paul didn't feel like he needed to talk about slavery. He had, he had something else in mind. And we know down the track that Christians had a big part of ending slavery and we know that, we know that slavery still is going on and, and Christians involved in stopping that. But... I believe it was that seed, that biblical seed that Paul has planted in, in, in this stuff. Slaves love your master, but master love your slaves. Um, but if a slave ran off, the master was entitled to find them, to kill them, to burn them, or a lot of the time to get a hot branding iron and poke it on their forehead so everyone would know that they're a, a runaway slave. So that's kind of the story. Now, just to make sense of it, it's split up into kind of four um, four parts. And and the first we get the intro, which we've talked about. We get this this praise, this blessing to um, Philemon, and then we get this appeal for Onesimus, and then this conclusion. So we've we've done the intro, and now we're going to work on this kind of this blessing uh, or this this praise to Philemon. So I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all these holy people, your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord people. So the essence of what this whole letter and what I'm going to talk about is, is found in this first part. The picture of what Paul is trying to portray to Philemon is here. Um, and it's in verse 6. It says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith... Uh, oh, hang on. It's different. My version says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Okay, so we kind of take that as an evangelistic style of where you go out and you just tell people about your faith. You, and... And we kind of read that and say, Paul's going, oh, I praise you because you're going out and telling everyone about Jesus. But, um, yeah, so the word partnership, and in, my, in NIV it's sharing. The Greek is koinonia. I'm going to write it down for you. This could be my new favourite word. Watch out, oikos. Um, there's a couple of little probably things there or something like that. Um, koinonia, and it means it means fellowship, all right. It means association, community, communion, joint participation, and even intimacy. So there's this really deep sense of fellowship uh, in this word koinonia. So he's saying, I pray that you may be active in. Doing koinonia, that you're, you're doing fellowship with these believers, uh, and we see it uh, just in the up the top in verse five. He says, um, "I pray for you and I remember your stuff because uh, your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints." So he's 
he's affirming in Philemon that his love for all the saints is inspiring. And he's lifting him up in it that this, this guy loves the fellowship of his people. And the first occurrence of koinonia is in Acts. And, and you might remember it says, this is all the believers. It's Acts 2.42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the koinonia, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayer. They devoted themselves to this fellowship, to being with each other. It says they're with each other daily. They devoted themselves to this. Uh, it has to do with generosity. Christians give to one another because they belong to one another. It's about sharing in life, material goods, wealth. N.T. Wright explains this verse in, in this way. He says, it's the mutual participation which is proper to your faith. That's the way he puts it. We share in fellowship so we may know Christ. And to know Jesus is to know the fellowship of his children. This is the picture of this letter, this koinonia, fellowship. And, and there's gonna, he's gonna try and reconcile Onesimus with Philemon. We also see it in, um, Ephesians, when, um, when Paul set, was talking about the fivefold gifts, um, and their purpose. In, in Ephesians 4, 12 to 13, he says this, these, these gifts are to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Just saying the more you know Koinonia, the more you know fellowship, the more you know Jesus. They go, they go hand in hand. And we see, we see back in Philemon that he says, um, so that you may have a full understanding. So to share in your faith, to, to join this fellowship, is so that you may have a full understanding of Jesus. And then uh, in 1 John 1 3, we see, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Koinonia. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, we write this to make our joy complete. And then also in Galatians 3.28, we get that neither there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are all one in Christ. We are all um, koinonia. Fellowship. This is to know fellowship is to know Christ, and this is what Paul is trying to get across. Uh, again, I love right and right, and he explains it like this: In Christ, Christians not only belong to one another, but actually become mutually identified, truly rejoicing with the happy and genuinely weeping with the sad. Can everyone say koinonia? In verse 7, um, I'll get to that. It says uh, in the NIV, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. He's talking about um, Philemon's love 
it, it inspires Paul. He acknowledges that love is the surest sign that Christ is being formed in his people. He talks about that it refreshes him. And this, this ref, refresh is a, is a metaphor, as a, as a military metaphor, that, that when the army is in battle and when they stop, they, they are refreshed. It's in the midst of chaos. It's in the midst of war. They stop. And Paul knows that Philemon is in war, in battle for the kingdom in Colossae. And he's saying, this love you have for Jesus and this, this unity and this love for people, it refreshes my heart in the, in the midst of this, this battle. And, and the word heart, it's, we just don't, we don't do justice with these translations often. Um, and it's just because we simply don't have the words. It's not because they're real, necessarily bad translations, but the heart is... They talk about it in the Greek, it's the seat of all feelings. And they say it's like it's the bowels or it's the inward parts, the, the, the heart of affections. And it's just the deepest seat of feelings and emotions for, for each other. He's saying that's what it refreshes in me, the deepest part of me. So that is this, that's this kind of blessing uh, and this affirmation of, of Philemon. How, like, how, um, how much can we learn from that in, in leadership or in just life of how to communicate with each other? Like if you, if you want to talk to someone about something in their life or you want to, uh, you feel like you need to correct them or even if you feel like you want to let them know that you, you sense that God wants to do something with them in their life, like, what a blessing to receive. What an affirmation of Paul. That, like, that's what I've been learning in this, this study is that Paul is ama- an amazing leader. So then we go into this, this appeal for onesimus. And it's, there's two things to emphasize. The first thing is Paul and onesimus' bond that they have made. And then the love which Paul hopes to awaken in Philemon. But the first part is, is broken up into kind of Five bits to make it easy. So the first part is Paul's right to make the appeal. So verse 8 and 9, Therefore, oh, I'll read this one. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. Then, I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, he's saying I can order you to do this. I could order you to do this, or I could correct you, or like I've done with those Corinthians and all that. I could do that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. And, and it's this same love that, that I talked about before, this, this love that he sees in Philemon because he's acknowledging this koinonia, this fellowship of the believers. And when it says, um, say it up there, I'm an old man, it's, it's more likely to read ambassador, right? It, Paul wasn't actually that old, but he's saying, now that like I'm an ambassador for Christ, but also a prisoner. So he's got this paradoxical right um, thing ambassador prisoner and somewhere in the middle 
he's presenting his case to Philemon as 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 we all have we're co heirs of Christ, we're holy and but we're prisoners and slaves to Jesus because he owns us. You're going everywhere. So he's more so explaining these other rights Paul has of which he's not going to make use or the rights he has in Christ. So then we get to the appeal itself to Onesimus. Onesimus, verse 10. So that, so in that I appeal to you, on the basis of all that I just appeal to you as a friend um, for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while in chains. So Onesimus has come back not so much as a slave, but as a son. And Paul is fond of using this kind of language when he talked about himself and his converts. Um, he talked about you are now sons and daughters or you are beloved children. He got it. Um, and the, cl- the closer kind of thing to the Greek would have been this father I have become in my imprisonment. So we all are adopted as, as sons and daughters when we become a Christian, right? And, and Paul is just emphasizing this. He's adding to this, this idea that we are one. We are family. We are, we are blood. We're coin, koinonia. God adopts us as his sons and daughters. Uh, in 1 John 3 1, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Excl- exclamation mark. Jackie, I got it right? Exclamation mark. Um, that's massive. How great is the love the Father's lavished on us that we may be called his children. That is awesome. Um, and when you just think of this, this picture of Jesus on the cross, right, he's, he's, he's standing there, or he's, he's hanging there, right, every part of his body aching, he's suffocating, having to press on the weight of the nails to just get a breath. And in his last breath and his last moment, he speaks out this. He says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his own home. In the last moment of his life, he said, mate, you look after my mum. And mum, you, ne- you have a son. You're not orf- look, You're not widowed. You're not alone. The, one of the last things he cared about was that we are not alone, that we are a part of family. Like, isn't that amazing and powerful? Like, when he would have just been in so much pain and when he's weeping and crying out to his father God, he looks down and says, you look after each other. And when he says he took him into his own home, it, it's more, the, the wording is more he took him to himself, he took him into his life. And while we're on this idea of he took him to his home, I'm going to quickly explain oikos. Because <laughs> we throw this word around a lot and most of the time it, it doesn't actually make sense the way I use it. I just like saying it. But... It simply means, it's an ancient Greek word that means home. And it's the idea that the home was called the oikos and there was a, a man of the house, a father, and he looked after that family and then 
and they're his extended family, and they all join in, they're all part of this oikos. And that, that's, that is the language that we're, we're starting to use in this place, is that this is home. Not this building, but, but when you walk into the house of one of the believers in this church, weeping, that you just feel like you're home. And you can just weep, and you can just fall in knees and say, I need, I need help, I need prayer. But you feel like you're home. Or if you just want to go and have a game of pool and a beer, you feel like you're at home as well. Oikos. Um, but that's, that's the idea of oikos, that this is family. We're all family. We're in the same household, metaphorically. Um, so that was, that was the appeal. And then in, in verse 11 to 12, it's, he talks about Onesimus, um, his new character. It says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. Now, there's, he- there's heaps of puns, like kind of in the Greek language used here. Um, so, onesimus means useful. And so he's saying, onesimus, who was, is, means useful, was um, not useful, so it's, it's kind of weird, is now uh, useful. Um, but again, the, the Greek word, it's more than just useful. It's, it's really useful. It's, it's uh, eukrestos. So it's useful not just in name. It's he is going to add to your life. He's going to make your life better. So he's gone from useless to which I kind of take as he doesn't add anything into the the kingdom of God because he doesn't even know Jesus. But now he is he is more than just useful. He will add to your life. He's going to bring bring about change to the kingdom of heaven. He's going to advance the kingdom. And the underlining word for eukrestos, useful is Christos, which is where we get Christ. So there's this kind of another pun where it's like he's now in Christ. And this is just all adding to this appeal. And he says, I'm sending my heart. And like we talked about before, this is sending a part of me, this, this deepest part of me, this emotions and this, this floor of emotions and this flesh and blood, I'm sending him to you. And then we get on to this, this fourth thing. Um, Paul's reasons for sending him back instead of keeping him. From verse 13 to 14. I would, would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But he did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated... Uh, uh, no, yep, stop there. Um, so he's, he's affirming the importance of Onesimus' ministry into Philemon's life. And at the moment I'm just presenting you this kind of what we see, and, and later it kind of all comes back together, but he's, he's affirming the importance of Onesimus and his ministry. He's saying like, oh, I could make so much use of him right here, but I'm going to send him back to you. Um, and also when we see... Uh, Favor, um, so so that any favor you do will not seem forced, 
but will be voluntary. It's kind of it's kind of misleading. It really means any good thing in the situation, which we see in verse six, where he says, "I pray that you may be active in being this koinonia, this fellowship, so that you may full understanding of every good thing." So it's so that any good thing that you do will not be seen forced. So any good thing you do that which you're already doing, following them. I'm going to give you the opportunity to make a good decision here. Wright says um, the word he translates, uh, and then and then we get the voluntary, but it's more. And in NIV, I think it says spontaneous, but it's misleading again. It's, it, he says the word he translated as spontaneous does not mean the action has not been carefully thought out but rather indicates that the person concerned has reached a settled conviction on a subject and is happy to carry it through. It is, it is the opposite not of premeditated but of unwilling. So when we see um, voluntary, like wouldn't be forced but voluntary, it's, it's really thought out. He's saying so that you may do a good thing that you think about and you make a good decision, which is this whole onesimus ordeal. Am I making sense? <laughs> Probably not. Philemon, uh, Philemon must do what is good in the situation. Paul wants him to be part of the decision-making process. And then the last, the last part of it is a suggestion as to God's purpose in allowing the whole secrets of events to happen. We see that in 15 and 16. So perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul is suggesting that in God's sovereignty, it may have been his way of bringing ones in this home, into the kingdom. And it's kind of encouraging for us to know that when someone is, does wrong by you, that it's not out of God's realm to turn things right. And it's, and it's an awesome um, lesson in communication of, that we don't have to go up to people and like the, word, the, the term will of God gets thrown around a lot like, oh, God said this and God said that. But the way Paul presents it, it's like just perhaps this may have been God's plan to bring him back home, to bring Wanzimus into the family, perhaps. Just think about it. And where it says that bring you back forever is this, this other <laughs> Greek word, neos. And it kind of means eternal or, or spiritual. It's, it's more than just bringing him back until he dies, so he can work and die, but it's this, he'll be with you forever in heaven. And he's now a brother in the Lord. So after setting up that whole appeal um, and acquiring Philemon's, uh, Philemon's trust, he puts the appeal in simple terms with four imperatives. And it's here. It's, welcome Onesimus back, put his debts on my bill, refresh my heart in the Lord, and by the way, make a bed for me when I come up. So there's these four things. Do you just see the cross of Christ in that. I see it so clearly. 
Jesus welcomes us into the family, even though we've, we've run away and we've messed up. But we must welcome others. And, and Jesus took our debts on the cross, right? We, we, owed, we owed him big time. We were condemned for eternity away from God, for punishment for our sin, and he, and he paid that debt. Jesus paid that on the cross. So we shouldn't hold debts on other people. And our hearts have been refreshed in Christ. And have been given peace so that we may know him and allow others to be refreshed also. And it's this idea of being refreshed in the midst of chaos and of, of war and of battle. And the last bit is that we need to put our faith into action. So like Paul is just expressing all this stuff about koinonia and fellowship and forgiveness and loving people and he says, and make a bed for me. And um, yeah, no, no Christian has a right to refuse a welcome to one that God has already welcomed. So faith in Christ, the basis of justification is the basis also of koinonia. Justification by faith must result in fellowship by faith. This means that we share fully in the fellowship of Christ and his people. However, awkward or different or, or rude or annoying or misguided or painful they may or may not be. And in verse 17 we see, um, we see if so if you consider me a partner, Queen Onos. So he is his, if you consider me a koinonos, a part of the koinonia. So there's this adding to this, this, this picture of, of fellowship. So he's saying, if you consider me a part of this fellowship, so if you consider Jesus a part of your fellowship, we need to see other people as part of our fellowship. Um, Onesimus and Philemon are brought together in Paul. Right says um, Paul plays Christ in the drama. So knowing Jesus is knowing fellowship. Um, Philippians 2, 1-2 declares, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Koinonia is being in agreement with one another, being united in purpose and serving alongside each other. Our koinonia with each other is based on our common koinonia with Jesus Christ. And we see it again in, in the one another's. It's, it's honour one another. Be devoted with one another. Live in harmony with each other. Accept one another. Be kind to one another and compassionate to one another. There's a reason why it's listed. One, do this with one another, one another, one another, one another. It's because we're meant to do these things for one another. And I think we just can skip over it. And, but, but, but Jesus said, you know, what, when, when he was, when they pressed on him, what's the, the most important commandment? He says, love God, love others. 
Like love God with all you got and love others. It's part of it. And this is what true um, fellowship should look like. So Mark, can you come up and play keys? Because this kind of stuff, I really... Um, just sat on like all week and I was really struggling to put it together and I presented you with all this stuff but I I want I want you guys to go home and really study this Philemon and maybe you're going to have to open up a couple commentaries or Google some Greek words or but I'm convicted in my Christian walk that I need to study the word of God not just always flick over it and I'm pretty hopeless at reading and have to have a hundred copies just to kind of focus a little bit. Um, and it's really hard for me, but God has made a way for me to understand the scriptures and sometimes it's a verse at a time. But you guys, you guys can do this. And, but I felt convicted on my heart that I just want to say, oh. I want to say sorry to anyone who's ever walked into church or even this church and not experienced the true fellowship or true koinonia of Christ and his people. It happens all the time. And you talk to anyone at Scripture or youth or people in your life and they say, I don't believe in your God because there's been that many Christians that have hurt me or... They're judgmental or they're, um, they don't walk, walk the walk, walk the talk, whatever. And, um, but I just want to say, you're here tonight and you've just come here out of just hoping something will happen or, or you've felt in the past judged by church. That is his people, that is us. We've just got sin and we, we mess up. But it's fellowship with us as believers and it's fellowship with Jesus. And I just want to say sorry if you've ever felt or if you haven't experienced that true fellowship. Because you are accepted and you are loved and you're accepted as you are and you can come in here as you are and, um, and you can join in this, this fellowship of his believers. And in joining in that fellowship, you will know the full knowledge and understanding of Jesus. And maybe, maybe like Philemon, there's some people in your life that you need to forgive. Or, or God's trying to take you into a new season where he's saying you can forgive these people or you can, you can do this or you need to step up or you need to let go of that bitterness that those people have done to you or, or you've got problems with fellowship or, or being vulnerable. He, wa- or he, wants you to, he wants you to step out. He wants you to acknowledge this coin on air, this fellowship, because in knowing this you know Christ. Or maybe like Paul, you need to start stepping in the gap for some people. Paul played Christ in his picture. There's this slave who everyone else in that society would have scarred him and put a big fat burn mark on his forehead. And in all Paul's love, 
he just stood there and he said, I'm just, I just want to say this in love. You know, it's pure to you. I'm not, I'm not pushing around. I'm just, I just want you to know this guy, he's a believer. Alright? He's not condemned. He's, he's hurt ya. And he, and he does, he, you probably don't want to forgive him. But, come on, this is my son. If, there's some dads in here that if they come up to me and said, this is my son, you look after him. That, it's full on, eh? And your dads, if you said that to someone, you mean it, right? You said, you look after my daughter. It's my daughter. I'm sending this person away to you. That's, that's full on. Paul, Paul isn't this hard-ass guy. <laughs> He's got such a soft heart. Well, maybe you're, you're like one Zimus. You've been running and running and running or, or you're scared or you're just tired or being pushed around or you want new life. And tonight you can find that in Jesus. And there's, there's just so much stuff in this book. And, um, but it just, it just speaks of God's fellowship with his believers. And this is the way this, our, our church is moving. We want to be on mission together. We're going to see each other a whole lot more. And, um, we're going to press into suffering and trials together and we're going to press into joys together. But to know that together is to know Jesus. To know fellowship is to know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus tonight, maybe you don't know the fellowship of his people and we just say we love you and we accept you and we want you to, you to be part of this family. So if that's you, if you want, if you're, if you want to be, have prayer for any of those things, I'll be available, bro will be available, some elders will be available. Um, yeah, so just, just find someone and pray for them and I just pray that you know the fellowship, the koinonia of Christ and his people. Let me just pray. Lord, um, we need your spirit to reveal deep things to us, God, and we understand that um, we have sin and sometimes we treat people wrong and um, we need your help to love each other to love one another, to spur one another on, to be compassionate to one another, God. But we know that that you can make it happen, God. That by the power of the Spirit, you can grow a church that love each other, that spur each other on and that are, are willing to do mission together in the good and the bad. We acknowledge that on the cross that you made a way for us to not be orphaned or not be abandoned. You made a way for us to be a part of a, a family that is worldwide. And you made a way for us to be forgiven for everything we've done and to be set free and to be reconciled with God. We're so thankful for that, Lord. We just ask um, that, you, that you reveal these things to us all the time, God, and that we can seek them out together as fellowship, as family. In Jesus' name, Amen.